God, we come before you and we thank you for allowing us to remember your goodness, who you are and what you've done. We ask that you would just allow our hearts and our ears to be attentive to you today. And to respond. Amen. Amen. So we're in the book of Colossians, Colossians uh, chapter 2 today. And uh, I was going to attempt to do Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 15. It's not going to happen. We're going to do Colossians 2, 6 through 10. Uh, I'd love for you to join me. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one there around for you in a couple of the aisles in the back. Take one with you. It's a gift. If you don't have someone who has one, take it to them. And I would encourage you, uh, I always tell people, if you're giving someone a Bible, I, I appreciate writing a note in the front cover, just encouraging them spiritually with a prayer and, and so that they can have that and take it with them. So uh, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians is an amazing book, and it's something that really encourages us. And for those of you who are a believer, um, I think today is going to be a powerful reminder. Here's that remembering part. It's going to be a powerful reminder of what our life is to really be. Um, if you're just curious about Christ, maybe you're here and you're going, well, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I don't, I'm not really sure about the church thing, but I'm checking this out. And you stumbled across us. For you, I think it's going to give you a picture of what it looks like to be a mature believer. So for some of you, it's going to serve as a reminder. For others, it's going to be like, okay, this is what a picture actually looks like. And you're going to go, okay, well, what's the difference between the two? Um, why? Because here's this church, and Paul is writing to them. Uh, there are some scholars who go, okay, is it really Paul? I, I'm adamant Paul wrote this book. Uh, part of the reason is even some of the Greek, it's so similar to other letters that he has written. Um, and uh, so here's Paul. And Paul had never been there before. I want to remind you of that. Um, Paul had not been there, but he had sent Epaphras, his friend, his fellow believer, a colleague of his, to that area. He had formed this church. And then after forming the church, um, Epaphras is seeing him, and he's letting him know of some concerns that he has. Basically, hey, here are these guys. They started really well. They started really strong. They were firm in their faith. Um, but then they, they, they began to be kind of pulled away. They, they started straying from home. They started to stray away from home. Um, and it's just one of those things that sometimes happens. Sometimes we lose course, and we... Things happen in our life, and it pushes us farther away from where we really need to be. I remember when I was growing up, um, I had a little black dog. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, this guy knocks on our door, and he, I'm standing there, and he's like, is your mom or your dad home? I'm like, sure. And uh, my mom comes up, and he goes, can I please speak to your mom by, your, uh, by herself? And I said, sure, I guess. And so, I mean, I was a little kid. I was like nine years old. Um, so, but I remember this and I left, but I, I stayed around the corner in the hallway. Um, and I heard him say, um, ma'am, do you have a little black dog? She goes, yes. I just ran over it. Um, I shouldn't laugh right now, but I'm laughing because I know the end of the story. Um, so all of a sudden my mom goes, oh no, she grabs us. We go out to find it. The dog is gone. She, he's like, I, I hit the dog. It was laying there like it was dead. Like it's gone. This is a true story. It was gone. And like a week later, all of a sudden my dog showed up back home again. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So basically he didn't die and the dog ran away. And then all of a sudden it shows back at home. But it, he, this guy hit my dog right in front of our house, but yet somehow the dog didn't look right up and go, oh, there's my home. He got lost. 
and it took him a while to find home again. I think sometimes hard things in life hit us and we get lost. We get distracted and we don't go home to God. We don't go, hey, I'm going to sit with Jesus again. What we do is we start pursuing and running. We get we get maybe disillusioned by the things of the world and we start going in the wrong direction and it takes us time to get home. And I think that's what's happening in the church. They had been hit with a lot of false doctrine and with a lot of different people saying, hey, this is what you really need to believe instead of Christ. And, you know, we know that uh, Colossae is on this trade route where all these people had impact and they're coming and they're, they're speaking about what they've discovered, what they believe, and it wasn't Jesus. And they started to allow all those, to, all those things to impact their thinking. One way to think about it is they started to, the reason they got lost maybe is um, they started to think that faith was about Jesus plus something else. Like just the Jesus part isn't enough. So it's Jesus plus, well, if I also do this, Gnosticism, if I also abide by these traditions, if I also do this, and as a result, they actually began losing their, they, they, they began to lose their footing. Paul understands this. And so what he's doing in Colossians 2, verse 6 and following, is helping them with this. And so this is, this is how he begins. He says, so then, so then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, to live with him. To, another translation would say to walk with him, which is interesting because it's the same word that he uses in Colossians chapter 1 when he says to walk, a, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now he's pulling that same language back out in chapter 2, and he's telling them, this is so cool to me, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, he's reminding them, remember and as you remember, you will then continue to walk, to live in him. You'll be rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you are taught, overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Here's what he's saying. Guys, you need to remember, you need to live your life the same way that you encounter Jesus. Right, do you remember when you came to know Jesus Christ and how it thrust you forward? How many of you came to know Jesus Christ as an adult? Raise your hand proud. You remember it, don't you? Right? Did it change your life? If it changed your life, like you knew, boom, it changed your life. Raise your hand. That's why you just should raise your hand. Right? And you knew it was like, boom, yes. Like it altered your life and it made you walk differently. It made you be a spouse differently. It made you to have conversations differently. What you watched on TV was differently. Everything, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, everything began to change. If not, we'll get to that later on. But that's what takes place. And he's saying, remember, remember to live your life the same way that you encounter Jesus. And some of us are just numb to it now. We've forgotten the fervor and the passion and the zeal that comes with knowing who Jesus is and what he's actually done for us. And he's saying to remember, walk in a manner, living your life in a manner, the same way that you encountered Jesus in the Gospels. You've forgotten, you started so strong, you were firm in your faith, but now you've gotten distracted and you think it's Jesus plus something else. And the more you add to it, the more you dilute the beauty of who Jesus is. Don't do that. 
You see, Paul knew that God, the gospel, what, who Christ is, the gospel is the, the gospel is the fuel for the Christian life. It's what makes it run. It's what makes it tick. It's what makes it really just prosper. And so it's fuel for the Christian life. It's fuel for a holy life to be righteous, to be pure, to be blameless, to be someone who can walk in a manner worthy that is honoring God. And so he's saying, guys, go back to that time when you heard about Jesus and it changed your life and you had that pure faith. Go back to that. You've added so many other things here. You're listening to the wrong things. And it's kind of like he's saying, hey, listen, you've been justified. You get it. So, but justification leads to what? Sanctification. Another way of thinking of sanctification, I know that's a churchy word. Let me help you out. Another way of thinking about sanctification is transformation. That's what we, we speak of here, Romans chapter 12, about being transformed. We want to be transformed followers of Jesus. And so we want to recognize that when you know that God has given his son and that there's a penalty that had to be paid, that's the justification. He did that for us, for you well, that leads to a sanctification, a purifying process, a transformation of allowing him to move your life closer to him. And that happens in the decisions that you're making and what you're doing in life. And they had started to, they had started to forget all of this. And they weren't walking in that way anymore. They weren't walking in that way. And so what he does is, verse 6, he gives this charge, Okay? So in verse 6, he gives us charge to do what? Continue to walk, continue to live in him. And then what he does in verse 7 and verse 8, he gives four yeas and three nays. Four ways, yes, this is, this is how you are to continue to live in him and to walk in him. And three things that you shouldn't be held captive by, captive by that can prevent you from walking and living in him. He said, the Bible, guys, it's not all that complicated. Otherwise, I couldn't do what I do. Trust me. you got to remember, Jesus Christ took a bunch of ho-hum people who had no education to change the world with them. Right? So I want to encourage you. Like, it's not, there are some things about God that will always be, always be a mystery. Like the Trinity will always be a mystery. Right? God is God and Father, Son, Holy Spirit and, and the virgin birth and certain things like that. But in terms of being able to follow him, it's not for this intellectually elite crowd. It's for anybody who has faith. And so he's giving them, here's four ways that you can live in him, walk in him, and here are three ways that you better not do it. So I want to jump into that. In verse 7, he says, to be rooted and built up in him. That's the first thing, to be rooted. To be, that, that means let your foundation be there. Right? You think about the roots of a, of a giant tree and, and how they wrap around everything beneath them and to the sides of them so that it can be strong. And he's telling you, hey, make sure that you have that type of depth, that you're rooted in that type of way. He even says not only to be rooted, he says to be built up. Here's how I would translate and help you understand what it is to be built up. Because again, we think about building walls and different things on a building, whatever it might be, okay? But if you want to be built up to be healthy, to be solid, to be fit, spiritually speaking, that means you need to have a spiritually healthy diet. You need to have a spiritually healthy diet. That means you can't live on a bunch of spiritual junk food. You've got to have some meat and potatoes, Right, it's one of the, here, you want another mystery? I'll give you a mystery. 
I moved to Michigan, and I discovered one of your greatest loves. You have about four of them, and I I love being in Michigan, but here's one of the things that's an oddity to me is because it's so cold here, but you guys, you guys love ice cream. Amen? For some of you, who who was, if that was the first time you've ever said amen, raise your hand. I'm just, like, you guys love your ice cream. And, and somebody came to me after the last service, and I said the story. He goes, yeah, I know the owner of Hudsonville Ice Cream. I said, well, don't tell him, like, I'm, like, bashing ice cream. I'm not. You can, like, tell him to send me some. But, like, you can't live on it. You can't live on it. It's not good for you. It's not going to feed your body the way that it needs to be fed so that you can be strong, so that you can be healthy, so that you can have a long life, not for self, but a long life of declaring that Jesus Christ is the Savior of your life. Living in that peace and that fulfillment and that joy and that comfort. And so you can't live on spiritual junk food. If you want to be built up to be strong and powerful, you have to have a healthy diet. What are you feeding yourself spiritually? Like, are, are, you, are you just like, well, occasionally I listen to some guy on the radio if I hear somebody preaching. And you know nothing of their doctrine. You know nothing of what they're saying. And you don't even know if they're speaking truth or not. You're just hoping they're, because you don't, you're not even sure if they're speaking from this because they only mentioned it once. Well, the Bible says, and they don't even reference and, and, and walk through a passage with you. Like You've got to ask yourself, what are you eating? If you want to be rooted in Christ, if you want to be built up in Christ, then you need to have a spiritually healthy diet. And some of us aren't willing to do that. We're not willing to set the bag of chips and the ice cream to the side to eat something that can truly fuel us when it comes to our spiritual growth. And part of the reason we don't want to do it is because we get challenged in it. We get challenged by it. And we don't want anything that would tell us that we could actually be doing something better because we're insecure And so we're not open to that. And we're not receptive to that. How dare you tell me that I shouldn't eat those chips? I'm just trying to help you out, brother. And so we have to ask ourselves, are are we eating a spiritually healthy diet? So we need to be rooted in Christ, built up in Christ. This is what he says in verse 7. Remember the four yeas, three nays. Here's the four, four yeas. That's two of them. The third thing is he says that you're to be strengthened in faith. Strengthened in faith. Faith is such a, a wonderful, delicate subject. <laughs> because we could spend a long time examining whether or not we truly are people of faith. And yet it's by faith that we know salvation. One of the ways that you know if you're being strengthened in in your faith is by whether or not you're exercising your faith. I want to give you some ways that you can exercise your faith this morning because... um, Again, faith is one of those things that you learn more about the more you exhibit it, the more you demonstrate it, the more that you are able to exercise that within your own life. I think for some people, faith is a matter of, hey, I just told my, I just told my neighbor about Christ for the first time, not knowing how they would really receive it. And so I told someone, or even a stranger, because God just lays up those conversations. 
right? And you start to look for those ways, and you start to share. I remember sitting on an airplane once, and I sit down. I'm, I was going to go speak at a conference, and all of a sudden, um, this lady, she just sits down right beside me, and I could tell right away. I was like, oh, no. Because sometimes I love people, right? But do you, you ever gotten somewhere, and you just want to be left alone? Like, you really are... A, going to appreciate that hour and 20 minute flight of just closing your eyes and praying and just being by yourself and before she ever sat down I counted she had already spoken 3,412 words like it was one of those and you could tell though she was doing it because she was so nervous I said well ma'am I just gotta quit are you are you nervous or anything she's like yeah how can you not be nervous like and I was like "Oh, oh you just asked a pastor that And so I had to go into the whole conversation of like, well, this is how I'm not nervous. I mean, one, I just trust God and I have faith in God no matter what happens. Well, what if the plane goes down? I get to be eternity with him. Pretty good. So now you're praying that the plane goes down? I didn't say I'm praying for the plane to go down. Uh, right? It's like she was that lady. You know who I'm talking about. But one of the things that we need to do is we need to begin to exercise our faith. And so maybe exercising your faith is speaking to someone who doesn't know about Christ. Maybe exercising your faith is just inviting someone to church and saying, you need to hear, man, God's doing some crazy stuff in my life. Why don't you come hear more about who he is? And I, man, I can't even do the, you, sometimes if you can't articulate who God is yet, you should be able to as you grow in your faith. But if you can't yet, just claim it. Say, I, I'm not all that great with it, but I just know what he's done in my heart. So man, you want to come to church and hear more about it. For some people, exercising faith is starting to give to the kingdom that God is wanting us to build. For his glory and for his power. We all know that 40% of the people who show up at church never give a dime, right? And so you go, hey, I'm going to start exercising faith by trusting that God, God's will is best because he commands it. For some of you, exercising faith is a matter of praying with a spouse or with a friend. And it's the first time. It's the best compliment I've I've received in so long, um, is somebody coming to me about two months ago, and he says, hey, you made me pray for somebody in the store the other day. And at first, I was going to duck, because the way they said it was a bit aggressive. But they were meaning it as like, yeah, hey, you've gotten me to pray with people publicly. And he just told me, he goes, I've been a believer for over 20 years, and this is the first time i prayed with someone publicly. That's exercising your faith. So if you want to be strengthened in your faith, I'm encouraging you to, be, to, to, to exercise your faith. Exercise it. Use it. And then he says, lastly, he says, overflowing in thanksgiving. Overflowing with thanksgiving. We know from Colossians chapter 1, when you cease to give praise and thanksgiving to God, it's because you feel entitled to whatever you have. When you stop giving praise and worship and thanksgiving for what you have, it can be anything in your life, it's because you feel entitled to it. <laughs> Many of you know, we have Daniel Nyanzi who is staying and living with us. Um, and uh, he's from Uganda, great guy, he's working with our kids, he's working with them right now, does a phenomenal job, loves the Lord. Um, and the other day I was talking to him, and um, I was like, hey, how many people do you think in Uganda would live in our house? He goes, how many do you think? I said, I'm thinking like 20 or 30. Oh, 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 oh. That's what he does. He goes, at least 100. And he's serious. And I'm like, yeah, 
I need to be thankful for my house. I need to be just, I need to be overwhelmed that God lets me to have roof over my head. When you stop being grateful for what God is doing in your life, it doesn't matter what it is, you feel entitled, right? So he's saying, listen, if you want to walk, verse 6, To walk, if you want to live in Him, you need to be rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, strengthened in faith, and you need to be exhibiting thanksgiving. You need to be giving praise in all that you are doing, and that's what He's making sure that they're remembering. Why? Because He knew that their faith was firm to begin, but they began to lose that foundation because they let other things creep into the picture. In fact, here's one of the things that they were doing is they started really strong. So I'm going to show you something. They started really strong, but as they allowed other voices to speak and to distract them and to deter them from the truth, they got, they got weaker. So this morning I was using my daughter, Ashley. I said, Ashley, come here. This is at the house. And I said, Ashley, come here. I said, I want you to do your best. And I stood with my feet like this. I said, I want you to try to push me over. Because Ashley weighs, I think, what, eight pounds? Um, I mean, she's, she's nine, but she's a tiny little thing. And so I was like, push me. And here she is weighing eight, eight nine pounds, and she really does weigh more than that. Um, but she's tiny, and I can't make her stand up or I'll get in trouble. But then she could push me over. Like it didn't, I mean, she pushed me, and I couldn't not go over. And then I said, okay, 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 try again. And she couldn't budge me. Why? Because I'm a stud. I defeated a nine-year-old. Anybody? Wow. Um, I, she couldn't move me. Why? Because I widened my stance. So here's, here's what this is saying in verse 6 and verse 7. He's saying, I want you to live and I want you to walk in him. And here's how you're going to do it. You're going to do it. And you're not going to let all the pressures of the world and the hostilities. And you're not going to let the hard things of life. You're not going to let the difficult situations that can hit you hard. I know that, Right? You're not going to let those things knock you over. Why? Because you're going to do verse 7, which means you're going to be rooted and built up and strengthened, overflowing with praise, which means you need to widen your stance. Our spiritual stance is too narrow. And when you start to listen to all the other voices... And you start to be distracted by the false teaching. That's what was happening there in Colossae. And, and so all this false teaching and all these things began to happen. What, what took place was their stance began to be this. Which is still okay. It's not quite as powerful, right? I mean, how many football players do you say, okay, right before the snap, they all go. No, what are they, they get down, right? And so what happens is when we start allowing other things to come into the picture other than the truth of who Jesus Christ is, anything other than, than Jesus dilutes the power of Jesus. And it causes you to have a more narrow stance and it gets more and more narrow and more and more narrow. And that's what was happening. They started from the time they knew Jesus, right? They were introduced to faith and their stance was powerful. But then all these other people started coming in and they weren't standing firm in their faith anymore. And so because of that, because of difficulties and hostilities and all these things, all of a sudden their stance started getting more and more narrow and they didn't have the same foundation anymore. And so Paul's writing to go, get your stance back. This is making sense, right? Like, what if this church, every one of us is right here? Come on. I'm not a sumo wrestler, but bring it. 
And we had such a strong spiritual stance in life. You see, when you have this type of spiritual stance, listen, the waves are going to come and hit you. And as soon as you brace this way, it feels like it hits you from that way. But the better spiritual stance you have, the better you can stand when those waves of life hit you and pound you and the wind just feels like it could push you over by itself with nothing else contributing. And so he's saying, widen your stance. That's what verse 7 is. Widen your stance. And you can do that if you remember the faith that you first knew when you came to know Jesus Christ. And then he says, he's like, this is what I want you to do. These are the four yays. Woo! And then he says in verse 8, here are the three nays. These are the three things you have to be warned of, right? He says, don't be held captive. So here he is. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Keep doing it. This is how you're going to do it, being rooted and built up, established, strengthened in your faith, abounding in thanksgiving. This is how, that's how you're going to stay firm and you're going to keep walking in him. And then he says in verse 8, see to it though that no one takes you captive. We've been held captive, friends. We've bought into so many lies that we consider to be truth. And as a result of that, our stance is being weakened in our homes, in relationships, all of it in churches today so he's saying listen don't be held captive and he even tells them he tells them the things that you could be held captive by and there's some things that we don't want to hear by the way here's one he says don't be held captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition According to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. It's just a simple way for me to better say this in our own words. That's why I say there's three things here. He says, don't be held captive to human philosophy. Another way of thinking of it is false doctrine or human tradition. Don't do it. Right? Like If your Christmas is ruined because you didn't personally cut down your Christmas tree. You're being held captive by a human tradition. It was horrible this year. I didn't, I didn't even get to cut down my tree. We had an artificial tree and the lights didn't work. And your Christmas is ruined. That's actually what you're going to remember rather than the birth of a Savior. That's behind into human tradition way too much. Like those are the people I get sad for because they don't get it. He's saying, listen, don't do it. I I give you the four ways you can make sure that you stay with a good spiritual stance. But right now, you got to make sure that you're not held captive, that you're not being knocked off your sure footing by human philosophy. Here's human philosophy, materialism or hedonism. Hedonism is just a matter of just pursue your own pleasure. Whatever makes you feel good, you can do that, and that's okay. That's hedonism, right? Or, Or secularism. Just pursue yourself, pursue the ways of the world. You're going to be great. You're going to be good no matter what. Just do that. And he's saying, no, it's going to narrow your stance. And you're going, well, there's nothing wrong with a good tradition. Sometimes it can benefit, but a lot of times in in time, it begins to hurt. That's why yesterday I was at a church that closed this month. Right around this area. 
been open for over a century and they closed their doors. I said, why? They said, we wouldn't change. Tradition. I'll give you an example of some tradition. So uh, this was over, this was really, I was 22, 23 years old. I was in my second or third year of, of seminary already. And, and, and I'm serving a church in Noonan, Georgia, Central Baptist Church down there. And I'm serving, in, and the senior pastor's name was Joel, Pastor Joel Richardson, and did a phenomenal job just pouring into me because he gave me a lot of freedom. <laughs> um, and uh, let me learn ministry the hard way. And he was going to be gone on a Wednesday night. Typically, I did all the student stuff as well. And so I had one of my interns do the student stuff. And he had asked me to lead the prayer time. I said, oh, so it's like an hour of prayer. He goes, well, no, it's really just a Bible study. I said, then why don't you call it a prayer time? You know, you, you've been there before? It's like, just call it a Bible study. But anyway, I was 22, 23 years old. Um, and believe it or not, dumber than I am now. Um, and so... I just said, well, can I just pray with everybody? And he goes, I trust you to, to, to do okay. I said, oh, that's your first mistake, right? And so he goes out of town. I'm on a Wednesday night. It's the prayer meeting, which means Bible study. Um, and there's all these people sitting around. And I said, can we just start by everybody standing up and lifting their hands in prayer of appreciation for who God is? And, uh, and I was about to start praying, and I recognized right away that over half of them would not stand up. And that's when it hit me. I was like, oh. So I went, I said, hey, hey, real quick. And I played it off. And you, know, you got to play some things off. Let me go to, I want to read first. I know you guys, some of you have already stood up. But hang on one second. And I went to Psalms. So that's when you rip out scripture about people standing before the almighty God, lifting their hands in praise. It's tricky. And so some of them finally began to stand up. And it was a rough time of prayer. It didn't last an hour. It probably lasted about 35 or 40 minutes. Because I felt like I was the only one praying. And I had asked them to stand and lift their hands. I had asked some of them, if you can, if you can kneel at times. And uh, I said, maybe even if you, if you can't kneel, just sit with your arms lifted to the heavens. Open to God. And... Uh, I saw one lady, I, I, was, I was cheating, you know, they're like, you got to close your eyes, and I was opening my eyes sometimes, and I saw one lady do this, kind of like, and that was like a big thing, and I remember about an hour later, after everything was over, this lady walked up to me, her name was Edna, and she came to me, and she says, Joel, and I said, yes, ma'am, we say ma'am in the South. Yes, ma'am. And she goes, that's the first time I've ever prayed lifting my hands. And I've been cheating myself for 81 years. Why? Because the tradition had gotten in the way of something so much greater. And so here he is saying, Here's four yeses, here's four yays, four ways to do this. And here are three things you don't even recognize. That's why it's deceitful. That's why it's so much trickery and everything that's taking place here is you think it's just a good solid tradition, but it's limiting your view of the greatness of Jesus. How many things do we have in our own life limiting our view when his view is so spectacular? Spectacular. 
So he's telling them, don't do it. Get your spiritual stance. Don't let those human traditions and philosophies and false doctrines outweigh it. You need to identify the spiritual dead ends in your life. And you don't even recognize that some of those philosophies and those doctrines that you have, it's a spiritual dead end. Like, right? Wouldn't that be a horrible... A horrible thing, like who wants to just jump on a road if you know, hey, I want you to drive eight hours straight down this road, but there's no exit and the only way out is just to turn around and come back. Nobody does that. It's a dead end. Nobody wants to live their life spiritually and go, hey, you know what, here's the beauty of it. I lived all my life and I have pursued Jesus and I recognize that I really didn't pursue Jesus. I pursued my own ways, my interpretation of Jesus, and as a result, it's a dead end. Because I've spent so much time with human philosophy and trying to justify what I want to believe and what God should be doing for me. And I've spent so much time worshiping human tradition rather than the fact that the, the tomb is empty. Because of the greatness of who Jesus is. Wow. And so he's saying, widen your spiritual stance. And when the waves hit you, you can stand against the pressures. And so there's verse 6. Continue to walk in Him. Verse 7, this is how you're going to do it. Verse 8, this is, this is how you, you can't do it. And then in verse 9 and 10, this is what he says very quickly. He says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity, that means all of God, because he is God, Trinity. He's always been Jesus Christ himself from the beginning. Here, yes, for 33 years in human form. But he's always been. And the fullness of God is in him. You got to get that, right? Another way of thinking that, that's the incarnation. That's John 1.14. And the word became flesh. And the word became flesh. And he's saying, here he is in bodily form. And in verse 10 he says, and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and over every authority. You have been given fullness in Christ. Listen to that. You have been given fullness in Christ. It does not say you have been given partiality in Christ. You've been given just a little bit. And that's how we act. And it's because this is our stance rather than this. And he's saying, widen your spiritual stance. He tells you how to do it. And you're going, oh, I still don't really know how to do it. Well, exercise, I, I want to give you a way to do it. I want you to this week, here's a challenge for you. And I know it's a challenge. And I recognize when I do this kind of thing, a lot of you may never do it. But I'm trying to help you widen your stance. So that you, at the end of your life, don't go, hey, I did a great job serving human traditions, but it's a dead end. Right? That's not even fun. If I don't tell you that, then I'm a horrible leader. I'm a horrible pastor. So I want to encourage you this week to make a list of everything that you're doing. Just take a sheet of paper and just, or do it on your phone, whatever you got. Like just boom, 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 boom. Make a list of everything that you do. You might even do it this afternoon because you may forget to do it all throughout the week. But do it this afternoon, do it tomorrow, whatever. Make a list, whether it's um, who you are at work, decisions you're having to make at work, um, whether it be how you're spending money, whether it be how you're treating a spouse or a friend or a colleague. It doesn't matter. Make a list at whatever stage of life you're in personally, okay? And then right beside it, write down one of these seven things. Rooted, built up, strengthened, thankfulness, praise, right? Or deceitful, 
false doctrine, human tradition, human philosophy, whatever it is. In the very least, it's going to give you perspective and insight. And hopefully, I think a lot of you probably, because I've gotten to know so many of you, you'll be encouraged. Because you'll recognize, you know what? I've got more from verse 7 than I do in verse 8. I'm trying to give you the practical. Here's the how-to. And I want to give you one more thing. If you really want to receive the fullness of Christ, what I'm asking you to do is to be honest in taking inventory of your life. And that's what that list is. Take inventory of your life. Measure what you're doing. Take inventory of your life and write down where you think it's falling. Spend some time discovering where all your energy is going. And, and also, I would tell you, I'm asking, just write down on a sheet of paper, write, commit to the Lord in all you do. Commit to the Lord. It says in the Word of God, it says to commit to the Lord in all your ways. It says in all your ways acknowledge Him. I think part of committing to the Lord in all that you do, in all your ways, acknowledging Him, part of that is exercising your faith. Like to say, this is how I'm exercising my faith today. And not only, don't just exercise your faith, have faith. Have a deep faith. Have faith and never give up. Did you know there's no precedent in the Word of God for giving up? Don't give in to the human tradition, to the philosophies of life. Don't do it. There's no precedent in the word of God for giving up. God even determines how long a test will last. It's not for us to determine. But do not give up. Place your faith in the almighty God. I don't think that you can bypass endurance and perseverance and character and hope. I don't think you can bypass those things and then expect the promises of God to flood your life. Don't give up. Don't give in. Stay strong. Stay rooted. Stay built up. Stay strengthened in your faith. And I know some of you are awesome people. I get it. And you can take yourself a, a long way, but you cannot go far enough without the name of Jesus. Can't happen. And so stay strong in your faith. Don't give in. Don't give up. God is faithful. Listen to him. Pray that the Holy Spirit is so palpable in your life that when you walk through these doors or when you walk into the presence of the Almighty, your sins will be square-centered in your eyes because you'll know that those are ripping you away from God. And so you want to do everything you can to rip those things out and to replace that with the presence of Jesus Christ. You want the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, to be so impactful on your life that it gives you a spiritual fight that maybe you lost 38 years ago. Because when we're honest, so many of us today have lost our spiritual fight. 
And that's, I think that's part of what Paul is concerned about. He's like, you guys are going to lose your spiritual fight. Keep your spiritual fight. Why? Because we know that the acceptance of radical grace forces a radical response. The acceptance of a radical... Anybody believe that Jesus Christ is radical grace? Raise your hand. The acceptance of radical... You can keep them up. It's fun, Edna. No, seriously, keep them up. I'm speaking to everybody with their hand up right now and even the ones who don't have it up. The acceptance of radical grace forces a radical response. Verse 7, go do this. Verse 8, don't do this. Verse 10, let the fullness of Christ radically shift your life. Let's sing to that God. Let's worship that God. Will you stand with us as we worship him?